Welcome to Emerge Dynamics. Emerge Dynamics. The podcast for those who manage and invest in middle market private companies across the globe. globe. We're telling the stories of the unsung champions who take enormous risks every day to weave the fabric of our societies. Those who collectively, from the multi-trillion dollar largest market on the planet, we're diving into the dynamics of what makes some of them emerge from their peers and create incredible returns and impact on their communities. This is Emerge Dynamics. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Emerge Dynamics podcast. I am David Cusimano here with Eric Wingerter. Hey, David. Eric, back to our turnaround stages. Turnaround stages, yes. Pick up the journey here. We resume the journey, maybe is a better way to say it. So last time we talked about management change. Did we cover evaluation? I think we did. We covered evaluation, right? Yep. And so today we're picking up folks with emergency action. And these are, David, are the stages, the four stages of a turnaround. That's right. Well, there'll be be five if you include the the return to normal at the end, I guess. But yes, exactly. These are the stages of a turnaround. Stages that a company usually goes through as it gets from unhealthy to healthy, as it goes from unhealthy to healthy. And I think, Eric, what we're talking about here, emergency action, I think this is the stage that is most, I guess, like what a lot of people would think when they think about Mm -hmm. a turnaround process. Yeah, kind of the meat. This is kind of the meat. This is kind of like, so when we think about the first two stages, which are management change and evaluation, those, depending on how acute the problem is, those need to happen relatively quickly. You need to get to emergency action pretty quickly. Emergency action also needs to happen quickly, but you need to do those other stages to get to them. And we talked about why in the last episode. Yeah. So yeah. here and, we are. And we don't we don't get there if in the evaluation we end up with saying, you know what? We don't see a way out of this. This is not a viable business anymore. It's time to shut down, basically. And and sometimes that's the result of the evaluation. Um, right. And that part of the other reason why we bring outside management is is sometimes it's got to be somebody from the outside that can tell people that the emperor has no clothes and it's, right. and it's time mm-hmm. to shut down. But, you know, that's not necessarily it. But we're saying, having gone through the change in management, having gone through the evaluation, saying we have a viable business, but we have to make some drastic changes that's right. in order to move forward. Now we're talking about that's where we are. Here, that's right. The emergency. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And so this stage is all about Cash. Cash. That's right. Cash is king uh, here. Yeah, so we've identified we have a plan, we have a path, but we will not go very far in that path if we run out of cash. Right. And it can happen. Businesses often could have been saved. They had a plan, they had the right management, but ran out of cash and still didn't make it back. Back right. to normal. Right. So this is so critical. And Eric, this is where we put the 13-week cash flow. Yep. Yep. into practice. Mm-hmm. We're probably building the 13-week cash flow in the evaluation stage so yep. that we can understand, is there a cash cash path here? Yeah. But now we've got to put it into practice. Right, right. And you and I have been through 13-week <laughs> cash flows with yes, organizations in the past. Yes. And it's a very, very critical, it's not all that complicated. It isn't rocket science. No. It's, so we'll, let's just give a quick overview of what in the world that even is. Sure, sure. So... You know, a 13-week cash flow is one where you set up in a, whatever format it is. Some people use Excel, other use other other tools that are out there. But you start with, hey, here's my beginning cash. This is what I have in the bank right now, today. Mm-hmm. Here are my sources of cash. Here are my uses mm-hmm. of cash. And this is my expectation then 
of my ending cash balance. And so we're looking at what have been the past and then what's looking into the future. So the past is helping us to define the future. Typically for a company, those main inflows are associated with the ongoing revenues or the accounts receivable that are already on on the books, the inventory level. So you're looking at that. Are you having to continue to purchase those types of things? And then, of course, the outflows are the expenditures that you have in support of your business your payroll, things of those nature. And you start to prioritize within that. You're projecting what those are going to be based on the activities that you see. And then you start to prioritize them. As an example, payroll, you got to pay payroll. If you don't pay payroll, there are a lot of consequences. You, you may as well shut down. Not only shut down, right. but you may go to jail. I mean, I mean, there's there's other things. <laughs> you know, so the priority is laid out that way. Unless you have agreements, let's say, with say your executives that, you know, we're going to defer pay or something like that, you know, which you can do, which is one of the emergency actions that you might take. So it's it's schedulely, I guess if that's a word, vis-a-vis a schedule, you're laying out those 13, next 13 weeks of cash flows and you're keeping historical records because you're you're also seeing where do I actually shake out versus what I had projected right. so that yeah. you're, you're getting, getting uh, new out. input and making yeah. sure that you're accurate, you're covering everything. Yeah. And so, David, maybe we, some of the challenges I know we faced before is, gosh, where do you get all the information? Where do you pull yes. it from? And, and, yeah, and that, that's probably number that, one, right? This is some practical steps that, yeah. unfortunately, there may be people out there who need to do this right now. Yeah. Right. And so one question is people have is, well, why 13 weeks? It could be an eight week cash flow. It could be a 30 week cash flow. Traditionally, people do 13 weeks because that's about one quarter of the year into the future. Right. Right. So it's it's allowing you to see, hey, for the next quarter of a year, do I have a path? Right. Right. And that's usually long enough to, I I guess, understand, okay, I've got it made. I can now implement my changes to get me through that quarter. So that's one reason look that far out. So Eric, you said like, okay, where do I get this data? Well, it usually it's coming from the accounting system. And what can be easy, uh, let's talk about the expense side first. And also let's talk about what we're, how we're laying this out. We talk so much in this podcast about accrual-based accounting. Yes, That's yes. not what we're talking about here. No. This is cash-based. There are zero accruals here. This is literal cash in, cash out. On the expense side, when I start building a 13-week cash flow, I go look at historically the financials of the company week by week, and I look for patterns. I say, aha, the rent comes out on the third week of the month. So I can expect every third week of the month, rent's coming out. Easy to map that out, right? Right. Oh, the electric company takes theirs on the second week of the month. I can map that out. It's important to get their weeks right because it's possible you've got enough cash for the month, but you run out of cash during the month. (laughs) Week (laughs) two. Right? Right. So, I mean, that's how often, how, how granular this needs to be. So the expense side... A lot of the operating expenses, they're relatively easy. Look for historic patterns. Yeah. You lay them out. And then on payables, that's often the plug yeah. as the vendor. So let's get back to them. <laughs> yeah. Now let's go back to the cash in. Yeah. Right. So on the cash in, there's a few ways to do it. One is to just estimate, hey, I think I'll get this much in from customers this week, this week. That's probably the least accurate way to do it. Right. And if you've got five to 10 customers, some businesses maybe just have five or 10 bigger customers, that's a problem in and of itself. But let's say that's how it okay. is. You may be able to get away with this. You may be able to just say, okay, I know customer X, they're going to send this many dollars 
on this day because I just had a phone call with them, right? And right. so then you go in, you say, okay, two weeks from now, I'm going to get $20,000 from customer X. And you put that on your spreadsheet, right? right. But often when you're, you're a business with more customers than that, you have to have a little bit more sophisticated maybe of an yeah. approach. Yeah. And I know one thing we've done in the past is we would map out historically. So let's say there's 50 customers and we'd look historically, each of these customers, not just with other payment terms, but when do they usually pay? We say, hey, yeah. customer A usually pays in 23 days. I look at the last three months, customer A usually pays in 23 days. Company B usually pays in 28 days, right? And so I'll build some formulas in Excel that say, okay, I just sent an invoice to customer A. Right. Customer A usually pays in 23 days. So I can expect that 23 days from now, cash will come in. Right. And again, I've estimated, I'm hoping they keep their same pattern. Usually they pay an average, but at least this is giving me some tie to actually what I've billed to cash that will hopefully be coming in at certain times. Right. And you can get reasonably accurate with this, especially if your customers are performing like they did in the last three months. Right. 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 So, now we do that, and this works for about like the next four weeks, this yeah. approach, yeah. right? Going out eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. Well, now you're trying to estimate cash coming in from customers you maybe haven't even billed yet. Right. Right. And so at this point, I start looking next at, okay, what's in the pipeline? Right. You and I were working some time ago with a company that was serving the grocery industry and the customers would send pipeline order reports right. and say, hey, Hotel. in the Hotel. next 30 yeah. days, yeah. Right. In the next 60 days, 90 days, we expect to be ordering this many of your product. Right. So then we could estimate from there, okay, they'll order this much two months from now, we think, we hope, and they pay in this many days. I can now say, okay, now that I can go that far out, number of days, that's right, that's right to get the cash. So this is a process that is a little bit labor intensive, but it needs to happen. I need some expectation of the cash that's going to be coming into this business. Right. And then if I'm short, which often happens in um, emergency action or in a turnaround, I need to say, okay, it looks like I have a plan to be cash flow positive in 90 days. But if I lay out all my cash in, all my cash out, I am not going to make it. This is where it becomes important in the evaluation stage to say, do I have access to financing to get me through my turnaround plan? Right. And right. it may be going back to the existing investors and saying, we need another half a million dollars or another million dollars to get us through this. Or, you know, your first line of defense might be those vendors that as you scheduled out the either the recurring payments or the expectations of when payments are going to need to be made to vendors for certain operating expenses that may or may not necessarily be regular, recurring, monthly types of things, but in support of the business, that's when we say, well, you know, I know I should be paying this vendor in 30 days or 45 days, whatever it may be. I may need to slip that a few weeks here. Mm -hmm. And if I do that, I know I'm having some issues potentially with my vendors, but that may be my first line of defense right. before I have to say, okay, well, now investors, you got to pony up or, right. or whatever it right. may be. Absolutely. So first, get the vendors where you can get them. Yeah. And like we talked about in previous episodes, maybe we should even link to that episode where we talked about this in expanded format. This is not exploiting your vendors. No. This is really strengthening the relationship with the vendors. Actually, communication is so, so important with them in mm. this stage. And I've had to make those calls before. I know you've, you've done similar. We say, yeah. we know we owe you X. We're not able to pay X right now. We can pay you Y. And right. I can pay you Y plus A in the next month. Right. right? Or let me pay you 20% of X every week for the next number of weeks. Right? right. But it's all about 
I've never seen a case where stopping communication with a vendor makes things better. Uh, <laughs> no. That's oftentimes, that's, whether it's you directly or whether it's your folks in your accounting and everything, nobody likes that conversation. And so the natural reaction is, is let me just let it slip and not say anything. And that might work for a couple of weeks. After that, it's like if you're not proactive Right. In short order, that vendor is going to be calling you and probably calling you on a regular basis. Yeah. It's always better to get yeah. out there and get in front of that, let them know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's all tied back to, do you have a plan? Is there you know, a return to some sense of normalcy within a reasonable period right. of time? Those are all the things that you have to communicate because you do not want to communicate wrongly. I mean, that gets back to mm-hmm. our integrity is that, that mm-hmm. we have to be as transparent as we can be. And that is a key thing because if not, eventually, when you say we're going to do X and then you don't do X mm-hmm. uh, and that's a consistent pattern, your credibility is out the it's window. Gone. And yeah, it's gone. Yeah, And it often have to only not do X one time and the credibility is gone. Yeah. And yeah. actually, there's an organization I'm familiar with just very recently, Eric, because people may say, well, what's the big deal? I just want to answer the phone from the vendors. I'll just call them in a couple of months. Well, there is probably some runway to where you could abuse the vendors. This is not the right thing to do, but people do it. And you say, well, what could they do to me? Well, I, there's a very real example of an organization that I'm aware of recently that I had some interaction with where the vendors got together and forced the company into bankruptcy. The company could not survive the bankruptcy. The company ended up liquidating. Right. Right. This is a company that not that much before had been a large company with hundreds of employees, you know, had been a known force in the market and suddenly is gone. Yeah. Because the vendors, now I don't know the status of the communication with the vendors, but right. I know whatever happened, the vendors got frustrated right. enough, they forced the whole thing into bankruptcy. Right. And they, you know, that's what starts to happen, depending on the concentration of those vendors and what have you, is that as they start to see things slipping, in the back of their mind, they're saying, am I ever going to get paid on this? And so their first line of defense is usually, I'm going to cut them off. Mm -hmm. Well, that cutting off obviously impacts that company's ability to then get through that phase because it's like, if I don't have those resources coming in, how am I supposed Mm -hmm. to continue the business? So that's kind of one thing. So sometimes these vendors can actually shoot themselves in the foot, so to speak. But some of them come to a point in time that says, you know what? It's better for me to get 50 cents on the dollar than for me to get nothing. Right. And if I continue this relationship, I'm going to get nothing. And if the management doesn't change, if, if I don't see any change, I'm going to force this change and I'm going to be okay because I'm just going to, I have in the back of my mind, I'm only going to make 50 cents on the dollar. Right. But that's okay. That's better than, than nothing. Absolutely. So, Eric, with what you just said, you bring up another very important point, and that is that not all vendors are the same. Right. And you're going to have to categorize them yeah. into critical vendors right. and non-critical no, no, vendors. No, no, a good point. Yeah, right. in that 13-week cash flow, these are the ones like, if I don't keep these guys going, right. There, there are vendors who provide the cost of good to provide the inventory that you need to sell tomorrow. And if they cut you off, your business is you're over. Tough. Yeah. Right. There are other vendors who are non-critical. Does not mean we don't communicate with them and keep the relationship with them. But those vendors, we will be saying, I don't have any cash left to pay you. And it may be that you don't have any cash to pay them because you, the limited cash you did have, you paid to the critical vendors. Yeah. But that's what you have to do to get through the emergency action stage. Right. 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 To get through. 
So I think we covered a lot of things, Eric, here in emergency action. I hope we left folks, I hope we left you with some practical tips, 13-week cash flow, segment your vendors, maintain communication with your vendors, seek help from someone who's done this before if you're leery about your ability to do it yourself, because this is a critical, critical time. You have to get through it. It's, without getting through it, there's no going to the next stage. Yeah. And lastly would be, David, that not only are you having good, transparent communication with your vendors, but you're also with any other ownership that's involved in the company or any banking relationship, things of that nature. The banks might be a key player um, for you, a key vendor in, the, in that case, or a key financer. So having good communication with them and Having the 13-week cash flow is one of the best things that you can do oh, because you, you show it to them. You show it to them. Right. Yeah, and you say, look, here's the deal. When you go to the ownership and say, I need another million dollars to get through the next three months, this is going to be a difficult conversation. <laughs> That'll be a little bit easier if you show them the plan week by week, right? That's right. And how, That's right. how their cash is going to be used exactly. to keep exactly. this thing alive. So, folks, join us next time as we get to maybe a little bit more fun stage <laughs> of the turnaround. And that stabilization where we switch from a cash emphasis to a profitability emphasis. You may sacrifice profitability for cash in emergency action, but you can't do that for long. So join us next time to hear about that. 